and welcome to episode 10 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the chair as the Northern Hemisphere winds down its golf season at all levels, while we on this side of the equator get ready to ramp things up. Yes, it really is hot here at Christmas, and no, that isn't weird. Loads of news from the world of professional golf this week. They're not the stuff you're likely already know about. Meetings in Spain about the possible merger of the LPGA and Ladies European Tours. This has been talked about before, but we could finally see something happen. Final vote of the Ladies European Tour players this week. That could be very interesting. The Australian Summer of Golf kicks off this week at the New South Wales Open here in Sydney with the Australian Open, President's Cup and Australian PGA to follow. Frankly, it's a pretty thin schedule compared to what we used to see in the 80s and 90s. We'll dip into the vexed question of what the game is to do outside the US to maintain and drive fan interest and groupthink in golf course architecture. This one's been on the Google Doc for a while. Hasn't really garnered much attention from my co-host, but is it a problem? Is it a distraction? Is it only me that thinks it's even interesting? This could be a very long or a very short discussion. Hopefully, we get to find out today. All that plus plenty more when we get started in just a moment. But first, the weekly administrative tasks. Good, good. It's the flagship, but it's just one part of the Talking Golf Network. Make sure to head to the website. Check out some of the other quality shows we have on offer. Good, good co-host Derek Duncan. He's seen the light. You can find his excellent architecture show, Feed the Ball, there, as well as at feedtheball.com. You'll also find the popular Talk and Golf History podcast with Connor Lewis and Kurt Tyrrell's The Course Report, which hasn't been updated for a while. I must get in touch with Kurt and see what's going on there. Talkinggolf.com, or as Logues like to, likes to annoy me by saying, Talking Ulf, mm. you fool. It's very important that we'll they don't put that extra G in. We'll, there's one G in Talking Golf, or Talking Ulf. Uh, secondly, communication. Email's all but dead, it would seem. So if you've got something to say, hunt us down on Twitter. The show has its own handle at at underscore good, good golf. All three G's are capitals. You can find me at at rod underscore Mori, Logue at at Adrian Logan, Derek at at feed the ball. You can also send me a DM on Twitter, even if I don't follow you, because I've got that open message thing happening, which frankly seems quite popular with the spam bots, has <laughs> to be said. Thirdly, we've got some news on the sponsor front. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but it's Christmas or pretty close to it. Now, good friends at the Golf Society have organised a special offer for Talking Golf listeners, but you need to dig into the show notes to take advantage. It's a neat little trick, people. Uh, As golfers, I'm sure we've all received the horror Christmas gifts from non-golfing family and friends. Avoid that in 2019. A gift voucher from thegolfsociety.com.au, which you can buy at any time. But if you want it at 30% off, you can only find that in the link in the show notes. So, I'll leave it up to you how you get this information to the non-golfers in your life. It is a bargain, no question about that. You can only get it by going to the link in the show notes. That's the big jumble of words just down there, people, if you've never visited that part of the... Rod's pointing downwards. I'm pointing down, that's right. I forgot this wasn't YouTube. Uh, If you're still having trouble and you can't find it, shoot me a DM on Twitter and I'll uh, send you the link. That's pretty good, 30% off a gift voucher. And there's no reason you can't give yourself a gift, just saying. Yep. It's not in the spirit, Mm -hmm. but there's no reason you can't give yourself a gift, 30%. Enough of all that. Let's get on with it. As always, we start by bringing in my studio-based co-host, Adrian Loke, who's already made himself known to everybody. Good to see you here, Loke. But more importantly, good to see the new website that you launched this week. Listeners will be familiar with your photography from Twitter and Instagram, but now you've got an entire website devoted for you to just bask in the <laughs> glory of your own creative genius. Yeah, I've been sitting on this domain name, adrianlogue.com, for about 15 years or so. I've, I've secured <laughs> how, how every... Many, how many others have tried to get it? I don't know, but there is another Adrian Logue. <laughs> I, I've it? secured every Adrian Logue online asset ahead of him for years and years. So, <laughs> I, I thought I should keep that. But now I'm just rubbing his face in it by actually publishing a website on there. 
which has nothing to do with him and uh-huh. everything to do with What is with it? Tell people about it quickly. Where can uh, I find it? What are they going to see there? It's adrianlogue.com. Um, it's just got my photography on it, my golf photography. Um, I wanted a place which is a little bit more permanent and, and a good way to view the photos. Twitter and Instagram are a pretty terrible experience, really, when it comes down to it for viewing photos, and they, they're there and then they're gone and forgotten forever. Um, so I wanted this sort of more permanent place to, to put some of that stuff up there. As much for me to sort of reminisce on some of the places I've had the opportunity to go to and um, and collect the my favourite my favorite shots and put them in one spot. Um, and, yeah, I uh, hope other people enjoy it. So the great thing about digital photography is you can take hundreds of photos and it doesn't matter if they're no good, you can just delete them. The bad thing about digital photography is you take hundreds of photos and if you want to keep them, then you never get the chance to have a look at them. So I suppose this is an opportunity to uh, to do that. Yep. For, for those that don't, you're not a professional photographer. What handicap are you, do you reckon, as uh, a shooter? I'm a, pretty much everything in life, I reckon. I'm like a eight. I would have said six. Even stuff that I try and really apply myself to, I get... Which you, you do know, with your photography. You you really are into it. You love yeah, your yeah. photography. So, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think I'm somewhere in single figures, but... Yeah, I would say so. I would have said six. Okay, thank you. But well, I'm generous. It's high praise. So, there you go. Uh, AdrianLogue.com, go in to have a look at it. And I think you, you're. if people want you to take photos at their events or courses, you're open to... Absolutely. A little yeah, side I can hustle do, on do the commissions, side, yeah. Only an excuse to have somebody to show off your photos. Uh, no, I'd, I'd love to love to do a little bit more of that work. That'd be that'd be great. And you know, the more times I press the shutter button, the better I'll get. So. Yeah, well, I've had a look at it, and I think it's uh, it, there's some really good stuff on there. Go and have a look. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Going to be a lot of people working in the show notes this week, hopefully. Now, from Talking Golf Satellite US Studio in Georgia, big hello to Feed the Balls, Derek Duncan, and the third instalment of what I've got to say is quickly becoming the most popular segment of the Good Good Golf Podcast. What's Derek drinking? Derek, hello. What are you drinking? Uh, hello, uh, Adrian and, and Rod. It's great to be with you. I have to say, though, I'm looking at the Adrian's website, and you're a scratch. You're a scratch <laughs> photog- photographer. Thanks. There's no question. Rod's about a terrible it. judge. Everybody, go look. Go to the AdrianLogue.com and look at Bondi Golf Club. I remember you seeing some of these photographs of this rare piece of earth. Did you say on Bondi? Twitter and Instagram? <laughs> Sorry, did you say Bondi? Bondi is that oh, not what it's called? Let him go. He's complimenting me, Rod. Just let him go. Bondi. <laughs> Bondi. Bondi, okay. Bondi. Well, no, I'm not having a go. I'm just, I'm just, pretty sure he was having a go. People who give each other swimming suits for Christmas, so <laughs> but not used to your language, apparently. Um, beautiful place. I mean, this this golf course in particular, of all the collections you have on your website, is is just stunning. It's this incredible mix of dramatic terrain, holes and things just hanging off these rocky cliffs uh, pictures of people on the beach in the background yep. people strolling through the golf course it's just it's everything kind of that's really cool about golf and maybe at the end of the show if we do our our positive thoughts or i'll say bondi it's going to be in my Nailed my it. mind for some place i want to visit someday yeah. based on these bondi, it, it's most famous beach in the world got to be up there isn't it top it, five yeah it would have to a be a tv show about it yeah and all and it, it bondi. the thing i find amazing about it is that there's a golf course right next to it and, at, and not only right next to it it's sort of up on top of these like, amazing cliffs with incredible it. views yeah what would that real estate be worth yeah. in all honesty yeah it would be i don't know might but, top our billion but most golfers in sydney wouldn't even know there's a golf course there no. and it's not it's great not a golf. great golf course yeah, it's, it's not, not a great architectural work. not at all it's, it's way too small you'd love to see what somebody could do with it though wouldn't you yeah you could I mean, do not, the land's not that dramatic but i think you could do something you could do something very interesting really, like a really six hole reversible or something like that yeah but, um, uh, it's a but when you think spot. about you know we talk about community golf 
all the time, and this mm-hmm. seems to check off all the boxes. These people, we even have dogs. You've yeah, there's people wandering all over course. it, and uh, it's got it's a very grungy sort of hip feel about it. Um, is hip still hip? I had this discussion with Huggy during the week. Is hip still hip? He told me he was hip, and I said, I don't think hip's hip anymore. Perhaps not, but yeah, there's a urban sort of this urban little yeah, bit of urban decay around yeah. grungy urban decay around Bondi, and and but it's also very cool. Yeah, there's this you know, cool urban decay if that's possible, and that is sort of reflected in the golf course and the culture around that area. What did you you wanted to build a uh, some kind of a light rail system from the beach up there, didn't you? Is that <laughs> yeah. is that your plan? For zip lines, a zip line, yeah. zip lines from the golf yeah. course. The parking's horrendous at it's Bondi Golf Club, awful. and and yeah. <laughs> there isn't great parking anywhere in Bondi really, but. If you can just have your like nine holes of golf and then zip line down to the beach yeah. and then maybe have a bit of sushi or something on the boardwalk there and then yeah. go wander around the beach and have a dip in the waves, that'd be a great day. Yeah, yeah. honestly, you, you can't imagine that there's a golf how a golf course ended up there and how it's managed to survive there, but it is fantastic. And of course, anyone can go and play it. I used to go and play it in the summer evenings quite often when I lived yep. at my brother's place at Bondi. It was fantastic yep. to get up there at six o'clock at night. Yeah, perfect place for that sort of thing. Wonderful. And the wind blows through, and uh, yeah, it's not. Architecturally staggering, but it's a good no. fun place yep. to play the game. No question about that. Well, there you go, Bondi Golf Club. So yes, go and check out adrianlogue dot com. Uh, lots of really good photos there, and you've got some from Scotland, the old course, and a few bits and pieces from around the place. And you'll I'll, be I'll put some more galleries up as we go. Constantly on. adding, yeah. yeah. Good to see. Good to see. Well, congratulations, mate. You've done well. Uh, done well. Now let's talk about some well, of the. I, I think we should uh, swap out the uh, "What's Derek drinking?" section for "What did Derek mispronounce this week?" Actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we didn't even find well, out. What are you drinking? Blame yeah. Drinking Derek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I should do this at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, sticking with beer, since it's afternoon here, uh, okay. this is a Cigar City Maduro, which is a brown ale. Um, and I'm usually not that big of a fan of, of brown ales. They come up usually come up kind of flat. Uh, they they lack the hop profile I like, and they're not as you know they don't have the, the depth and complexity of a stout or a, or a porter. But this one's actually quite good. I think it's considered one of the better nationally uh, marketed one cigar cities out of the Tampa area in Florida, and it's just a nice solid uh, brown beer. Uh, you know, with some nice kind of huddle, subtle toffee, coffee and toffee notes, and it's it's quite pleasurable. Um, so that's what I'm drinking right now. Nice. nice. Well, we've okay. got coffee going because it's the morning here. I've got Derek. coffee. I've actually, I've gone, I'm drinking piccolos now. Yeah, you'll see that. Because it's, I've, I've worked out after about 10 <laughs> years of ordering flat whites that coffee shops are more likely to stuff up the milk than they are pouring the espresso. Oh, sure. And it's taken me, automated. It's, it's taken me all this time it. to realize that. And the espresso, if, you, if you're going to like have a high percentage of espresso, a little dash of milk, there's less chance that a coffee shop's going to stuff it up. So it's lesser of two evils. But then when you get a really good barista making a, a piccolo, it's going to be a really good coffee. You're going to enjoy it. So, you know, piccolos, people. Is there anything that you don't overthink? <laughs> anything at all? I've really been, I have been given that yeah. a little bit too much thought. <laughs> of control, yes. We're drinking coffee because it's the morning, Derek, and it's hot at Christmas. So we're a little bit opposite to what you Are you year-round golf there in Georgia? You would be, wouldn't you, in the South? Yeah, absolutely. The grass, you know, a lot of the grass goes dormant in uh, in many places in the southeast. The, the drainage is pretty poor, so that so when you get that dormant Bermuda and wet conditions, it's not fun. It's really soggy golf. You can't play it along the ground. Not that many people try to do that anyway, but uh, you can play. But the conditions aren't always great. Yeah, because there's big parts of America where golf's basically over for the year, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anywhere north, up yeah. in the upper Midwest. Uh, yeah, northeast and upper Midwest. Snow. It snows and stays under snow for 
three, four, five months in many places. How do people uh, live that way? Opens up you should see the, the face that Logan's making here. How do people live that way? I just can't imagine that. We're incredibly lucky here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Our winter is like autumn in most places. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's an absolute year-round pursuit Just here. the thought of having golf sort of cruelly torn oh, away from just, you. Yeah. Yeah. You might be in the middle of a good run of form or something. Then you've got to think about it all winter. Seems unlikely. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that could happen. You've got to have those, like, whatever swing thought last worked for you is going to be jangling <laughs> around in your head for the whole of winter. And you'll have completely stuffed it up by the time you get well, to play right. your next game. Or you'll have dispensed with it within a couple of holes of yeah. your first game in summer. Absolutely. That's that's one of the reasons why the Masters has always had such an impact in people's lives is because for so many people, it's, it really symbolizes the beginning of their golf season. Many people, you know, we play year-round, so it's... We just look forward to it for the tournament itself, but it's sort of like a, like a bell ringing that you know, time to get the clubs out, time to go to the range, knock the dust off, and let's get going. And that's what a, the Masters is to so many people. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? To totally different golf culture, as I can imagine having golf. How long does that whole winter thing last for? Five months, four months? How long are you without golf if you live in the northeast of the US or parts of the UK as well? Obviously, yeah, I'd say I would say parts they're out of it for five six months. Wow. Things are changing now. It used to yeah, be, that's right. you know, it would. Soon it'll be hot. At, soon it'll be hot at Christmas over there too. Yes, <laughs> it'll just be hotter here. Uh, let's not get into that debate. Our old mate Jay will be all over me mm. uh, if I'm not careful. Let's talk about some actual golf stuff. So, as I said, it's sort of the end of the season. I think it's the last uh, fulfilled event on the US tour for the year is playing out as we speak. Don't know what the result is. Just saw an amazing finish to the last event of the LPGA. Did you watch this, Derek? An hour or so ago. No. The LPGA finish, the, the, the final event, $1.5 million. Oh, phenomenal finish. Uh, as good as it gets, which is great to see. European Tour's last full field event of the season just finished at the race to Dubai. Of course, they started, well, they would have started this week if it hadn't been for the civil unrest in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Open's been cancelled this coming week, so they'll pick it up the week after. Uh, and season 2020 will already be underway, so their off-season is exactly... Cheap airfares on cafe at the moment. To Hong Kong? No, like if you're going all <laughs> over the world, but if Hong Kong is a stopover. Why? It, well, because well, people are avoiding Hong Kong, but if you're just flying cafe with Hong Kong, not leaving the airport, you're not in a lot of danger, really. You the risk is so. pretty minimal. You, you get a cheap so. airfare. There you go. A little public service announcement. Imagine if I flew. That would have been, yep. that would have been actually interesting, <laughs> useful information. Uh, but I don't, so it's not. Uh, so that's all the sort of on-course stuff and the travelling circus. It is professional golf, and that comes, you know, we talk about that from time to time. But what I'm more interested in, so that LPGA event that I just talked about finished, finished in Florida this morning. $1.5 million first place winner's check, biggest in the history of women's golf, not surprisingly. You'd expect the LPGA commissioner to be on hand and be in all of the photos about that. And I'm sure he wanted to be, but he's not, because, Adrian, he's in Spain having talks with the Ladies European Tour players. They're having a meeting this week. So the two boards, the Ladies European Tour and the LPGA, apparently sat down at the Solheim Cup and thrashed out some kind of deal. We don't know what the details are or what it might mean, but as, as a kind of a merger opportunity, the Ladies European Tour is and has been struggling for some years, which is not good for the game. It's not good for the women's game. It's not good for the game generally. Uh, there was a suggestion a couple of years ago that the LPGA might merge with them. That was rejected at the time. It looks like the two boards have agreed. It's up to the players now to decide. Without knowing what the details are, broadly speaking, if you said to me that the PGA Tour and the European Tour boards had agreed to a merger and it was just up to the players, I'd say that's a bad thing for golf. Yep, don't trust it. Yep. But in this scenario, <laughs> I'm absolutely thinking, depending on what the details are, it seems to me like maybe the only way forward for women's golf globally. It could be. The LPGA has had a lot of success uh, and 
a number of players make a good living there, but we'd like to see that extend further down. They do the same work as the men, uh, and they earn less money. You hear that so, sound? That's a can of worms opening. Yeah. We're going to get emails <laughs> for sure, which is good. Which and is and what's even worse is the LET tour, who, again, literally do the same work as the men. And the LPGA. And the LPGA. <laughs> the same work as the yep. LPGA. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. And get barely anything. Yeah. And, in fact, most LET players have to have a second job, a job. unless they're outrageously successful. Yeah. And, and when they're outrageously successful, they gra- the graduate, in inverted mm. commas, to the LPGA. So uh, does Europe deserve a more successful women's tour? Absolutely, it does. It's got it's got women golfers there who put in the work and deserve to get you know, similar pay to the men, if not equal pay. And uh, that's something to work towards. Uh, is an LPGA and LET merger the answer to that? It's, it's inter- I, You read this, it's an emerging story. And it's been talked about for a long time, but it seems to actually, the wheels are actually moving now. Uh, what you really want to sort of uh, divine out of this is what, what the motivations are for the main players here. Mike, Mike Wands over there, he seems like a trustworthy guy. Done fantastic things for the LPGA in yeah. his 10 years there, it has to be said, and just signed a long-term contract to stay at the LPGA, universally loved yep. by players, sponsors, and media alike, which is created, enough to make you suspicious. It's created a very upbeat positive culture but with I the LPGA. Th- he might be on... Maybe that's why it doesn't feel like it's such a bad thing. He had... I thought his quotes were really interesting. I'm not sure whether you had a chance to read this, Adrian, but I'm just going to find here what he said to the board. Um, his board, which I thought he was really interesting. Okay, I said to my board, if you read the mission of the LPGA, it's to provide women the opportunity to pursue their dreams in the game of golf. That's the whole statement. I don't see a boundary or a fence around that statement. It doesn't say in America. It doesn't say in North America. It doesn't say in countries where you think the opportunity is greatest. So I said, I think we should do this because we can, we really can, and I think it's our responsibility. Why is that believable from Mike Wan, Derek Duncan? And why would I not believe it if it came from the lips of Jay Monaghan? I think, I don't know. I just think you have to trust him. He's done a good job. Um I don't have any reason not to, not to believe what he says. Mm. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because he, he sort of saved the LPGA, Mike Wan, after the Carolyn Bivens debacle, mm-hmm. and it was a debacle. The tour was in genuine trouble, somewhat like the LET is now. And he almost single-handedly, Adrian, saved them from that by the strength of Willoughby's own personality and clear passion for the product. Um, so before we get too carried away... They're not an outrageous success, though, are they? They're... In terms of women's sport, they absolutely are. They're without doubt the most successful women's league in the world. Oh, is that right? Far more so than even the ATP, I would suggest to you. The, the, so- world, the world professional tours. And most the, so- the soccer as well? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, well, I, I would think they've been going since the 1940s, I'm going to say, 50s. Anyway, the, the point I was going to make was compared to men's sport. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And compared to men's. The PGA Tour is, is an outrageous success and doesn't even have to try very hard now in, in a lot of ways. The The... LPGA still has to try really hard and be, you know, the feisty upstart and come up with good ideas and whatever they execute on has to be done superbly. Is that a bad thing? No, it's great. It's a huge success like the PGA Tour has can hide a lot of poor process. and Because once the LPGA gets to that, if they ever do, yep. we'll have the same problems we do with the PGA Tour, where yep. the players are completely separated in every single way from the fans and the media and everybody yep. else. You give up an awful lot to become really big like that. That's Having right. said that, Derek, I read a piece from Stacey Lewis in Golf Week this week, which 
just pointed out the fact that roughly women are playing for roughly 17%, 17% of what men play for. Now, you can make the case that in terms of eyeballs, and that's what dictates it, it's entertainment, after all, professional golf, there's no equal pay for equal work uh, in play in that sense because it's just it's entertainment. Whoever gets the most eyeballs wins, but is women's golf 17% as entertaining as men's golf? It doesn't seem right on the surface. No, well, I don't know. I mean, if you went, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. If, is, if you look at the numbers, the ratings or, or, you know, the things that, the metrics that you base, uh, just, you know, thinking on when you look at the PGA Tour, are they 17%, are the numbers 17% higher than the ratings on the LPGA? And I know that's, that's not the only metric, but, you know, what it, it comes down to, I understand what you're saying. But it is it is a market based. These are market based decisions, mm-hmm. um, and you you would need uh, title sponsors willing to to make up that payment gap, and they're going to want to see something like uh, increased viewership, for instance, uh, in order to to come through and and you know write these big bigger checks. Um, it'd not be more interesting just to put more like a like an earnings cap on the PGA Tour, not take seventeen percent off the top of everything that that they pay out and knock them down to what the mm. women are making. So the, P- so the PGA Tour is, is negotiating a joint TV deal with the LPGA included this time around. I would have some concerns about that. But again, Mike Wan signed off on that. So you'd have to think that there are some safeguards in place. Equal access to market. Is there such a thing in the golf? Probably not. I mean, Meg McLaren talks about this a lot. And as she said more than once on the IC Golf Podcast, we'll get her on the Good Good Golf Podcast soon. She'll be down in Australia soon. So that'll be good. We'll catch up with her. Uh, it's partly about it, if the women's top players got the same exposures and had their stories told in the same way that the men's players do, mm-hmm. would there be anything like that different? So exposure is a real issue. Now, I don't know what you can do about that. The, the promotion side of it, the Not just thing the that actually so, feeds well, the interest. Okay, so, for example, do we need to think differently? Does it make sense for the women's golf and the men's golf to both be finishing on a Sunday afternoon? Now, it does nothing to hurt the men's game. But does it potentially hurt the women's game? Are there some creative ways and innovative ways that you might be able to assist, well, kind of both products in a way, not that the men's golf needs any assistance in that sense. But I don't feel like there's equal access to everything. Golf Week does a fantastic job of covering the LPGA with Beth Ann Nichols, who does a fabulous job. Randall Mel for Golf Channel. Really beyond that, there's not much in the way of dedicated coverage of women's golf. So there's a whole bunch of issues and complexities and there's a whole bunch of reasons why things are the way they are. But if you're interested in the thing moving forward, and I kind of feel like it should and could, women's golf's phenomenal to go and watch as a product, as a as a paying sponsor in a pro-am, I would much rather play in a women's event than a men's event. We had a fantastic time a couple of years yep. ago, Adrian, didn't we? You and I with Felicity Johnson. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Down at the Vic Open. Good day, Flick, if you're listening. Good day, Flick. Yeah, countback Flick. Still hurts to this day. <laughs> on a countback. We missed out on the golf bags. I couldn't believe it. Not that you need a golf bag, Flick, but I could have done with one. Um, so there's a lot of stuff here and there, but I, I find it's interesting. Do most people find it interesting? Or do most people care? Do golf fans care, Derek, about women's golf, whether it improves or goes away? I, I think anybody who watches golf on television would be interested in seeing a, a more robust and healthier LPGA tour. Do they, I mean, that's just in the, just a kind of common sense to, to want to see that tour do well. Uh, but will they watch more golf? I'm not sure. Um, I'd like to see a breakdown of, of 
of viewers like who who watches LPGA golf is it uh older demographic younger demographic male female and, and compare that to the to the PGA tour so is it a matter of exposure or you know just to kind of round back to your question is it a matter of of interest and no matter how much exposure and storylines and uh TV slotting times that you would make adjustments to will that drive viewership or not i i, I don't have an answer i don't know not at all well, look, I'm approaching this from perhaps a golf purist point of view, and I, I like the LPGA perhaps in the same way NFL players, uh, NFL fans like watching college football or something. There's, uh, you know, I like watching beautiful golf swings. I like watching great ball striking. I like watching golf played on good golf courses. For the most part, the LPGA plays on. Better, better golf courses. Some terrible they, ones in the mix there as they, well. But they play some really yeah. good. They play more really good ones. Yes. than what the PGA Tour yeah. does on an annual basis. And watching players play those courses within the parameters that the more or less within the parameters that the architects intended as well. And is there great drama and and uh, something entertainment? Yes, absolutely. We well, saw it was this morning. We saw it this I morning. You missed it. It was fantastic this morning. And the the Women's British Open this year I, was Amazing. perhaps the best tournament of the year yeah. in terms of drama and uh, intrigue and a great finish and sensational people, sports people stepping up and uh, performing. Shindig in Augusta back in April. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> which, which might have been it's, a golf it's, story It's second only to that. I think but, so too. But, and, and for different reasons. Yeah, that's right. Two are important for different reasons. So. But when it comes down to the crunch in a golf tournament, you want to see professionals being asked questions and answering those questions. You get that in the LPGA and uh, in the women's uh, golf tours. So it's got everything you want. Uh, and, if, and generally, people don't turn it off when they turn it on. They... They enjoy the uh, the women's golf. So, yeah, get in there and watch it. It deserves more promotion. Uh, th- this argument that uh, it doesn't attract enough eyeballs is nonsense, in, in my opinion. It's it's not getting, let's face it, it's just not getting promoted well, well, it's equally. it's a so. question. What do you take off to put the women's golf on? That's why I say maybe there's yeah. time for the some innovative thoughts about. This is the age-old question. So I used to work at a magazine and there would be, you know, the... the, the the readers tell you, your job as a magazine editor is to sell as many magazines as you can. Yep. And it was fairly simple. If you put Greg Norman on the cover in the 90s, you sold X thousand magazines. And you put Kari Webb on the cover in the 90s and you sold X thousand less. I think it's simple, though. There's every, every weekend in football, every football code in the world, there's games clashing at the same times all over the place. But you always get a sense of what's the most important game and the game that should be. It's it's being played to a big market or it's a couple of teams, you know, more towards the top of the ladder or something like that. So it, it makes sense what games they end up putting on TV uh, in football, even though the schedules clash enormously. There's a huge amount of overlap. It, similarly in golf, there's LPGA events and LET events even, which are clearly of more status within that tour than your run-of-the-mill Mm-hmm. PGA Tour event, and I think just some recognition of that—that's uh, a little bit wishful thinking, perhaps. But some recognition of that. I, look, I'd much rather see some certain LPGA events uh, have have the the real time time slot, and then the the nonsense PGA Tour event that's on that week pushed to the to the background. It's not going to happen very often, but it'll mm-hmm. happen. It should happen every now and then. What would you do, Derek, if you were Mike Warren? Put you in charge of women's golf. 
What would you do? How would you go about? He's doing a fantastic job, and I think he's probably doing it the right way in that he's building it. He's not looking for these silver bullet responses that people expect. Well, let's fix women's golf overnight and make it as popular as men's golf. That's not going to happen. Is it just more of the same of what he's doing? Have you given it much thought? Are you? Do you watch much women's golf? Do you much what? Do you watch no, much I, golf? I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. But it. But I, I also have to qualify that and say I. I actually don't watch that all that much PGA Tour golf right. either. You know, if I tune in a little bit over the weekend. That's probably as you know, unless it's a major tournament, which I'll watch from wire to wire. But mm-hmm. you know, the average PGA Tour event, I'm not really tuning in or, or keeping up on it much at all. So it's not a, it's not an indictment on the product. It's just my my particular viewing habits and my schedule. Um, I, I think merging with the LET is probably a good a good start, smart move. You know, it's they're already play all over the the world. You know, it's I, I remember when I was younger, the LPGA seemed to, to rarely leave the United States. It was just another, it seemed like much more like in the eighties ni- and nineties, it seemed much more similar to the PGA tour. It was just the women's version of the PGA tour. And, um, I, I don't know what the numbers ratings numbers were, if, if that was true or not, but my perception was it, it, it was a healthier tour back then. Um, now it's, I don't know if, I wonder if people get thrown off on, on the scheduling and where they're playing uh, at any given week, you know, is it in is it in Asia? Is it in the United States? Now, if they join the LET, it'll be in Europe. I don't know if that'll have a positive or or negative or any impact on on viewing habits, but you know, it, it just makes sense, I think, to combine forces and to get all the all the best li- uh, women players in the world playing together on the same tour, and it it you know it'll increase the competition, I think. It, it has a chance, you know, if they pick good golf, continue to pick good golf courses. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about your contention that they play just as good of golf courses. I, um, but that's a topic for another day, probably. It's wildly varied. Um, but it, it can't. It definitely, I think, is is a strong is a strong play. Um, I, you know, just on this topic of of televised golf and how to get more people potentially to watch golf. You know, even the PGA Tour is not anywhere on the same level as NBA basketball or oh, NFL no, football in this country. It's, 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 it's down it? the list of, yeah. of the sports activity that people watch on TV. I would like to see broadcast networks do more with how they present the, the golf that's being played, how they present it, how they telecast it, how they film it. Mm. Um, we're just stuck in this, in the same mode of, of watching golf. And um, that more than anything leaves me cold, whether it's a, LPGA or the PGA or the European tour is just, you know, I, I don't want to see, I'm tired of seeing a putt, a ball, uh, the camera zoom in on the ball rolling on the yeah. green when it's putted and see if it goes in the hole. I'd, much, I'd rather see them experiment with different angles, um, aerial angles or, or um, down the line angles, you know, shot tracer, I think is good. Um, just anything to, to kind of get away from what they've been doing. I think that format that they broadcast in is just really stale and uh, I, it's time for some innovation and I think that might help bring more interest and more eyeballs to the game. I think a lot of people are just kind of tired of the way that the game has been packaged and broadcast on television for, for decades, you know, now really. And they see a golf tournament on TV and they're just like, oh, great, let's golf, have, you know, turn the channel. I understood, um, but it's, it's a, let's be honest, it's a very tough one to film. You, you, you go out and watch golf live, then watch golf on television. They're two completely different products. At, at the venue, you get a sense of the distances involved and the conditions the players are facing and just what that flag does look like on the back of that fourth green with the water just behind and it's a terrifying prospect and you put yourself in that situation. You don't get any of that from TV. To me, one of the greatest things that's happened in 
golf coverage in the last 10 or 15 years has been the improvement in audio. Now, people talk about miking players up. That's a, that's a no-go for me. It, it changes everything. Like reality television, as soon as you put the microphone on the player, you don't get it's not genuine. the real stuff. Yep. It's not authentic. But those microphones that pick up the conversations, we heard plenty of them this morning. Mike, and Mike, Mike Lorenzo Vera as well. He's going to be <laughs> entertaining. <laughs> keep a microphone on yeah. him. Uh, they, I think, the caddy player conversations have been intriguing, Adrian, I think. Most of the time. Who who wouldn't have wanted to hear what Nick Faldo and Fanny Sunderson were talking about on the 13th fairway in 96 at the Masters on Sunday? Yeah. That, I think. Or what Hinako Shibuno was saying on her approach to the 18th. Exactly right, don't right. stuff it up. or yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> wouldn't this be funny, funny if I hit it in the grandstand? <laughs> or whatever it was that she said. But I think that's really, that, that's one of the things. And that has improved sort of by accident, those microphones. I think they came out in the late 90s with a microphone that was much more sensitive and could pick stuff up. A whole lot better, but more of that, I think. Yeah, the camera angles yeah. as well. I think I really like what Derek's getting at there with the camera angles and Fox, to their credit, with did the it US at Open. the US Open Fantastic. this year. Every year. I felt like I was seeing mm-hmm. uh, Pebble Beach with new eyes. So what's the expense of that? This is the problem with it. All of that stuff is extremely expensive. The reason football's easy to broadcast is because it's the same size field. You've got the same eight cameras, a couple that are wandering around, and you've got the whole thing covered. Even Augusta who have the cables all laid out. They just come in and put up the, the towers and plug everything in each year. Yep. Even for them, that's a it's a difficult prospect to try and find new camera angles and it's expensive. I mean, yep. already the staff that go to Augusta for CBS every year is just off the charts. So there's a whole bunch of complex stuff. I mean, of, of all the sports, golf is by far the hardest to broadcast. It is. Yeah, it's and like the most 18 expensive. different playing fields and then all of the and paraphernalia a, that goes around. And 100 different players yep. at any given time yep. uh, playing <laughs> at the same time, you've got to find the ones that are doing something worthwhile, and then you've got the high-profile players that people want to see no matter what they're doing. Yep. So there's an awful lot built into that. But I think the you're pro- right. It might be even be like this solution might be to, instead of going more high-tech and trying to find you know the latest technology that you can implement, it almost be, might be better to, to kind of go back in time. Do you guys ever watch those um, Shell's Wonderful World mm-hmm. of Golf yeah. videos? Just everything's like, at ground be, level and... Yeah, like when you around. can see, like, I mean, they'll have, like, um, holes looking back on a par three. You're behind the green looking back toward the tee, and the guy hits it. And you can actually often see the ball, like, rise off, off the club face and drift through the air and then where it lands on the green. And this this is pretty, you know, this is a single-shot camera with, you know, it's not – and it's not obviously HD uh, quality. But there's something, like, authentic about that experience and watching some of those old videos of the way these guys – or the way the the, uh, the it's filmed and the the staging of the cameras and mm-hmm. that to me is is more compelling than whatever they're doing now. We don't see the ball disappear into the stratosphere as well when like it does with uh, current current players and how do the camera keep camera up angles. with it? If McElroy hits a driver. <laughs> how can you with a camera possibly try to keep up with that? Yeah, that was, uh, one thing with the Dubai thing that three wood that McElroy hit into. The oh, 18th the two on round one. Yeah, the round one was amazing. The cameraman did actually track that, yeah. but it was the fastest pan you've ever seen. <laughs> it was the kind. It was kind of the most exciting bit of the whole shot. Was you see you see this beautiful golf swing. The ball obviously just the launched strike, off the club the face. The sound of the strike was incredible. But it? then there's the little bit in the middle where the camera is just panning at yeah. a ridiculously un, an <laughs> unlikely rate. Skill. They must pay yeah. those people based on that skill. Like whoever's the, an, you know, the, there's yeah, like that, four guys in the, yeah. in the world who no, are like good an, at that. Now there's an Australian invention. From the seventies or eighties, which makes the panning of the ball possible, and I'll have That's to right. think about. Yeah, something to do is almost like a telescope set up on it, so that the 
anyway, it was an Australian invention that allows, as was so much in television, they're very inventive our broadcasters down here with the camera in the car. And yep. Bathurst was the first place to do yep. that. Yep. Mount cameras in the race cars and those sorts of things. I can't remember the guy's name. I've read a story about this, but it was an Australian. So one of our listeners will definitely know, Brains Trust. Uh, send us a message on the well golf coverage Twitter as well in the eighties in Australia. I, I still you can get a lot of it on YouTube now as well, but the, a lot of it was the ABC, yes, the, yep. our national broadcaster, just putting like exactly like you said, Derek, just putting a uh, a tower behind every green, and you just and usually I think they'd have roving cameramen sitting. There's a fantastic photo of a roving camera. Think it might be at the Australian Masters, yeah. and it's on the back of a Holden Ute. Yeah, guys <laughs> in the back of the Holden Ute with the camera, yep. and they're driving the Holden Ute down the fairways. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. I have to look that up. It was, uh... and so that that's how they'd usually get the the tee shots, mm. and that, those those tend to be a bit formulaic, always from the same angle, down low in front of the tee. Uh, but then, yeah, the rest of the hole was just covered by a camera mm. behind the green, and you had coverage of all eighteen greens, and every important shot was covered. It mm. seemed it was. Yeah, the, and the ABC could just, you know, ad free, <laughs> just yeah, luxuriate in that coverage for too. six hours <laughs> right. on a Thursday. Yeah, it was fantastic stuff. Anyway, we've gotten a bit away from the topic. What might it mean? We're going to talk about golf in Australia and outside of the US, Adrian. It's just not a new topic to any of us. As I said, the schedule is coming up. But what might that LPGA LET potential merger? That could be a real boon for us here in Australia. The LET has, I think, mm. five tournaments down here already. Um, hadn't, hadn't thought of that. The LPGA yep. has two. They have the Australian Women's Open and the Vic Open, which got co-sanctioning arrangement last year. Uh, and that could be really good for us here in Australia. And I really put a lot of stock in this notion of can't see, can't be. For Australian young Australian women who've got an interest in golf, that would be a fabulous thing to have more professional golf for them to be able to see and aspire to here in Australia. And perhaps one of the keys to that is that our LET season here in Australia doesn't overlap a lot with no. LPGA events in the so US. February. So well, I think, yeah, they're usually in, in fact, Asia it, again at the start of your Thailand yeah. and, uh, and a few other places. So look, it's, a, it, it's potentially interesting, potentially really good yeah. for golf. Let's talk about golf in Australia. Uh, kicks off this week. I'll be out working at the New South Wales Open. I've got to declare an interest. I'm being paid to cover the New South Wales Open this week, but it kicks off four weeks of big-time golfers here in Australia. It's the smallest of the four events, Adrian. Somewhat interesting in its own way. Played at a suburban golf course. It's hasn't got a huge, huge high-profile feel, but golfers that people will know, and you can get out there and get up and close to the action. Those tournaments are really important, aren't they? Before we come to the Australian the Open. New Open. Yeah, the, the New tournament. South Wales Open. Yeah, New South Wales Open. The New South Wales Open, again, just golf in the 80s in Australia, used to have... It went on a fantastic run for a while mm-hmm. there. You had the number one player in the world, I think came out and played the New South Wales Open for four or five event. years in a row when it was it used to be staged out in Concord here in or Castle lot of, Hill and Concord. Yeah, Sydney suburban courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they seemed like big tournament venues back then because they, they were actually big tournaments. The mm-hmm. Australian PGA Tour, Australasian PGA Tour at the time was um, a fairly big deal. And yeah, you'd have Norman coming back and playing every year in those events. I remember Bernard Langer came and played in the New South Wales Open. Um, it's a lot of people's introduction to golf is, or to live golf is to well, see. It's, exa- it's accessible a, golf, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, the President's Cup, frankly, is not that accessible no. to the casual fan. The New South Wales Open, you're supposed to pay for a ticket, but the truth is you go online and fill out the form and you get your ticket for free. Yep. You can go out there and walk. Not quite the fairways as they do at the Vic Open with the players, but you can go out and follow the action up close. And there's some... 
for, for hardcore golf fans, there's always some players in those fields who are the future players to watch. Minwoo Lee played a couple of years ago. Yep. You follow him around there. It's a fantastic sort of an opportunity. I wonder whether golf misses. We focus too much sometimes on the biggest stuff. Don't have enough of that second tier of golf to help attract interest. Yeah, and it's good if you can get a mix of veterans coming back. Marcus mm-hmm. Fraser will probably be playing he this will, week, wouldn't he? Yeah. I'd be surprised if he's not. Brett Rumford is in the field. Brett Rumford, right. They extended the field to allow in some guys who'd entered the Hong Kong Open. Oh, fantastic. Not the New South Wales Open. They added 12 spots to get in the likes of Brett Rumford and I think Timmy Papadatos and a few others. Oh, fantastic. Which is a sensible idea. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to get that mix of a few veterans playing alongside young blokes. Uh, and you'll have some amateurs who've just qualified as well mm-hmm. um, who are trying to test their game against the pros. There's a lot to like about that mm. sort of thing. Do they have ropes at, at Twin yeah, Creeks? They, for that, the... they do. Um, okay. The whole course is roped off? Pretty sure. Okay. From right. memory. I'm going on memory from last year. Yes, I'm pretty sure it is. It's basically uh, free entry, I think, isn't essentially, it? Essentially. You go to the website and you can download a ticket yep. for, for next. I think they're valued at $20, but if you go there and fill out the thing, you can, you'll essentially get it for... Uh, They've got to track how many people were there, okay. so they, they need tickets to be able to do that. You can't just open the gate and say, oh, we think we have this many people. They've got – but here's the other side of golf. They've got KPIs to meet from sponsors, oh, you, particularly you, government. That, that didn't seem very comfortable on your <laughs> it, lips, that, and it, and it <laughs> those isn't. letters. It's the unseen side of golf, though, if you're running tournaments, isn't it, Derek? So all the things we don't think about, we just want to see a show. There's an awful lot goes into that. People who are investing money want to know that their money, their return on investment – is there. So for an event like the New South Wales Open, it's an inconvenience and people can't understand why I should I have to buy a ticket for the New South Wales Open? Well, you've got to buy a ticket so that, or you've got to have a ticket so they know how many people were there because government departments have put in money to promote certain areas and they want to have a golf tournament there to help promote that area. So there's a whole world of golf that we don't see as fans, isn't there? For players and for sponsors and organisers alike. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes and um, it's all done for our pleasure. And of course, we just well, we watched the US Open at Marion a few years ago. I don't know whether people remember the stories. The problem with Marion isn't the golf course, although it's clearly too short to host modern. Pre- it's logistics, just the space you need. There are certain courses you'd love to see golf played at, but it's just not realistic. New South Wales is a golf course that struggles to mm. host golf tournaments because of the logistics of getting there and fitting everything on the site. It's somewhat restricted. Fourteenth and fifteenth. Holes, the fourteenth in particular, one of the greatest holes in Australian golf. Without doubt, you could make a case. You can't. They don't allow any no. spectators to you get in get there, in not within a hundred meters of it. No, really, I right. think probably from the thirteenth green onwards, you just cannot see any golf until no. they come round the fifteenth green, fifteenth green. Yeah. yeah. So there's loads of other things that go into it. Uh, but what I want did, did want to talk about with the Australian Summer of Golf, uh, of course, we got as I said, that's a pretty thin schedule compared to the eighties and nineties that you were just talking about, Adrian. What's going to happen? With world golf, and more importantly, well, more. I'll just, about, I'll just get my crystal. Actually, I didn't realize I was. I'll just get my crystal ball out of my bag. I did uh, <laughs> alert you to before we started, which is probably fair. You've got this idea about the Australian Open. Lots of suggestions again this week. The Australian Open should co-sanction with the European Tour because we struggle for fields. This year is going to be fantastic. We've got the Presidents Cup the week after, so most of the international team are playing the Australian Open. That's a given, and he always wants them to. We don't get that gift. It's been eight years since we had that gift. We may not ever get that gift. Again, they may never play the President's Cup in Australia again. We don't know. So what are we going to do year to year? People say we should sign up with the European Tour. We get better fields, world ranking points, and more players of better quality are likely to come down and play. What do you reckon? I know that you don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And the eternal argument of like, 
it's not a stepping stone to anything unless mm-hmm. nothing you can, in it for the young. Like Cameron Davis won it a couple of years yeah. ago, and all he got was a check. Yeah, and to that I say, if they're good enough, they'll find a tour, and Cameron Davis has um, the PGA tour. In yeah, fact, exactly. So. Uh, so I don't know. You, the, to make a tournament great, and Australian Open is one of the few tournaments in the world that deserves the opportunity to be elevated to that status of great. And it's it's going to be so rare because these days, I think there's a mate. Perhaps the only way to do it these days is to buy greatness, and you could argue or rent it. In fact, you, you could argue that <laughs> the the players is sort of the example of that. It's just had so much resource put into it. They got a shiny new trophy last year. Uh, which, well, it is the players. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's got know. it's got a nice generic name. It's yeah. backed by one of the big. Um, the, the big powers in golf for the PGA Tour. So, and it's their, their marquee event. You can argue that an event like that can buy greatness and over time will be recognised as great just by sheer force mm. of dollars and, and will. The Australian Open, to me, is unique in world golf in that people want to win it because it's a national open. And Who does? Who wants to win Australians. it? Australians. Right. The, the vast majority of the field are playing just so that they can win it. And... That's that's the um, that's somebody ringing to disagree with you already. This hasn't even gone out on the airwaves. Uh, so, and that's the that's the point of it is it's there, uh, it's it's there to be you know for for young Australians to qualify for the deal. The deal is with the Australian Open. It's the vast majority of it's made up of Australians. Um, so that that's just how it's always been. So, do you need? 20 token European tour players to come and beef up the field. It'd be more like 80. Yeah. Well, even, 50, even 50 worse, like, so even worse pushing out a bunch of Australians who genuinely want to win it rather than guys who just want to win Rolex. Better players. Rolex than points. To be said. Race to Dubai points. Is, is that is that what's important about it though? It's, mm. it's, the, it's the feeding, it's the breeding ground for you, you know, Greg Normans and it's the stage for, your Bob Stantons and Bob Shearers and those sort of guys to win their national open, Wayne Riley or somebody like that to to win their national open. It means so much to them, and to win it on our best courses, uh, it's it's quite unique in world golf for that reason. Someday maybe a Canadian will win the Canadian Open, um, and that'll be an interesting story. But in the end, the Canadian Open is just a US PGA Tour event, and it's the one I look to as a comparison with the Australian yep. Open. It, it, it's a has it been a Becoming a PGA Tour event, has that done great things for the Canadian Open? I don't think so. No. I mean, they've got an amazing list of winners. Recently, McElroy won it this yeah. year, Jason Day a couple of years ago, and Dustin Johnson. I mean, what do you But it's, it's just pulled it down into the... It's a, just the another... But the way the Masters... Just to finish PGA this Tour thought, event. and then I'm very interested on Derek's thoughts on this, but the, the way the Masters became great was it obstinately did the opposite of what a lot of people thought it should do because they felt they understood what was special about the Masters, and they stuck with it and persisted, and eventually everybody thought, "Oh well, this thing is different and special, and now we all want to win that thing." Not because of the money, not because of the anything other than the fact that it's the Masters, and I desperately want to get into it, and I desperately want to win it. And uh, I think that's how Australians feel about the Australian Open. And the deal is, you've got to beat a lot of other Australians, and you've got to beat a little bit of an international contingent and we pay to come one or two very high profile people that we've paid yeah and that's part of the deal you've got to, you've got to beat whoever's like the best in the world at the time and uh, and you might have had to pay to get them out here but yeah I, I, I would take the extra step of stop doing 
appearance fees altogether and see how that goes. The whole thing could shrink, but that's okay. You've retained what's actually valuable, which is the, the tournament's prestige. Derek, is Logue nuts? I don't think he's nuts, no. I, I'm trying to think if there's another tournament, say, in the last 25 years that has risen in stature and gone from something that you know the, the, the major players are not interested in playing to becoming one of the marquee events and ha- and has not been a, you know just dangled out copious amounts of prize or prize winnings to to achieve it you know you have the playoff system here where you know everybody's very well compensated if you get there so obviously they're going to play in it but is there another example of a tournament somewhere that just through sheer credence and competitive fields and pizzazz or whatever has has climbed up into the upper echelons anywhere i'm not i can't think of one so i think that would that would bolster adrian's point that you know just paying people to come and play isn't isn't going to elevate the status of the tournament and is probably it's going to help matters long term and I, I wonder you know if there's a comparison i mean the american players used to not go play the the open championship you know, for a variety of reasons that the Payouts were low. They, they lost money on the getting there and back. And then for many years, even defending champions had to qualify to get in. And, and you know, most American players, it just wasn't worth it for them to go over and, and do that. And, and eventually that changed. They altered their rules a little bit. It wasn't so expensive to get back and forth. Um, yeah, I'm sure the the purse money was increased as well. And, and eventually, you know, and it became one of the, the majors, you know, the world major. So what would what would the Australian Open have to do to get on that track? Um, the biggest issue, and I'm not telling you guys anything new, is just the distance. It's just so far away for many of the world's best players. It, so part of it would have to be you know, to do kind of some sort of Australian swing and get players down in the southern hemisphere uh, where they could commit to being down there for three, four weeks in a row, culminating with the Australian Open. So, um, but But just pimping yourself out I, I don't think that's <laughs> i don't think that's what you want to do so I, I i guess i agree with adrian i think that's i'd rather i'd rather see the australian open through your eyes i'd rather see it keep its integrity and and honor the good things about it and not try to become something that it isn't because uh, uh, i'm not pro the notion of hooking up with the european tour either necessarily simply because i don't think it does anything for the tournament it just becomes another bland national open in a schedule full of bland national opens and i do agree that the australian opens place in world golf has been in the past more than that we need to try to maintain that it feels to me what you're putting forward Logue, is every accountant would tell you that the smartest thing you could do is join forces with the european tour and co-sanction the event and every accountant would have told richard sattler that the smartest thing he could do was put the accommodation along where the ninth hole is at Barnboogle Dunes and the 18th hole looking out over the beach and put the golf points. I think there's some merit in what you're saying that way. But I think it'd have to be handled carefully because the risk is if you get it wrong, the Australian Open disappears. Yeah, you just keep staging it. completely. But that, that fear of it disappearing is only because of selfishly wanting it or measuring it by these KPIs of yours, Rod, where, you know... Oh, they're not mine. They didn't invent the KPIs. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was only made aware of them in the last couple of years. They exist. That's right. But the the need to have it be growing all the time is is a fascinating... is a, is morbid fascination with having to have things be growing all the time in order to be judged a success. 
whereas uh, you know, you ask any Australian pro who won the Australian Open in the eighties and nineties, they, they it's all about winning the Australian Open. It's not about did the tournament grow year on year, or mm. you know, was it what were the what were the gate numbers like and all that sort of thing? It can shrink. What's wrong with it shrinking? Um, as long as it's retaining the thing that's of value, it can grow massively. Like the payoff is so much bigger. If so the key to it is to make sure you it maintains its position as the fifth most important tournament for Australian golfers. Because we yep. essentially yep. generally That's have a great way of putting it. Yep. one or two in that top 20. If we could guarantee that our highest profile Australian players would play it every year, yep. at least one or two of them, I think it could work with what you're yep. suggesting. And those players can also encourage other players to come down. You know, Adam Scott can talk to Tiger Woods. You know, not many people can. Jeff Ogilvy can talk to Dustin Johnson. Those sorts of things work in our favour. Mm. But that'll be the key to it. And I, and I sympathise with sympathise with young pros wanting it to be part of something bigger and therefore earn more money out of it because it is it is a tournament that they can get into. You know, it's the it's this the um, marquee event of of events around this part of the world and it's a great opportunity for a young pro to actually qualify and earn a big paycheck um, but again to that I'd say uh, focus on what's possible here stop paying appearance money for example that increases the pool for for the young blokes you'll miss the top Australians if you stop paying appearance money so be it um, like I said it so might no have to Adam Scott, it Jason might have Day. to shrink in order for it to okay retain what it's of value and then in five or ten years time it'll still have that that valuable core that no other tournament in the world has been able to preserve where it's just it's great for the fact that it's of what it is not not for any other reason people will in time realize that that's that's of huge value and they'll come back that's so I, that's I think I think what Logue's trying to sell five us or on ten here, year plan. Derek is authenticity, <laughs> and there's a lot in that, particularly yeah. at the moment. It's the buzzword of the moment. Not sure whether you saw this, the Goat Hill Park event yeah. over the weekend. Did you see this? <laughs> Ogilvy holding one. Ogilvy to holding one. They yeah. played with persimmon and baits. Ogilvy, Xander Shoffley, Dean Wilson, and now uh, I cannot remember for the life yeah. of me who the fourth pro was, but they played a match. Huge crowds out there, people with their dogs and drinking. And Ogilvy provided the perfect finish with the. Is what Logue's trying to sell us here doable for the Australian Open, Derek? How's the Australian Open viewed outside of Australia? Because that's a very Australia-centric view that Logue is pushing there. Is that something we could sell to the rest of the world? The, I think the only way the rest of the world will have a true interest in the Australian Open is if it has an international field. You know, if it's if it's the if it's the Open Championship, you know, part two. Um, because, you know, obviously, you know, fans in the United States, I don't think, are going to tune in in great numbers if it's primarily just an Australian field. Um, just like we don't turn into the South African Open or um, opens, you know, around, the, you know, in any other country. Um, so it depends on what, what you think is success. And if, if it sounds like what you're saying from your persp- from an Australian perspective, success, a successful Australian Open would include all of the best Australian players, including the the players that live in the United States, if they would return and play in this championship. Yes. That, and the, and the yes. way you do that in in my world is you just stage the best damn tournament that they're going to play all year. That's, you know, you, you have tournaments like Memorial or something which have this great reputation for looking after players. Well, how about doing something similar to that, but just 
you know, really think about that player experience, but have it tie in a little bit more with the fan experience. Something, something that's authentically Australian. Don't put the players in some bubble because I know certain players would love that because um, that's what they're used to at most tournaments. They just get put in a bubble, and it's a luxurious, fantastic bubble that keeps the riffraff away from them, and they're pampered at every step of the way. That's one. That's one way of staging a fantastic tournament that the players will rave about. They're having one of those in Saudi Arabia. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and Turkey and <laughs> exactly the, a lot of those yeah. playoff events on the European tour. That's kind of what that is. Yeah, that's right. Come into the bubble. It couldn't be a more sterile experience, though, could it? It's. Um, I, I think Australia. What makes our tournament experience unique is a little bit more interaction with the fans, the people who've come out. They care about the tournament. They want to watch great golf on our best golf courses, and uh, they want to interact with the players. They want to be able to tell Peter Lonard he's is a choker or something on the <laughs> that was a great story. <laughs> they can't really do that but uh that you know that that's that's more the australian experience i think of tournament golf and uh again that's the valuable thing we don't want to necessarily stage a tournament that's going to be like a, you know some soulless thing in dubai we, we want it to be uniquely australian and really focus on that experience of what the players experience and what the fans experience because this sounds like an awful lot of wank but it's pretty important isn't it the australian open really is in danger of, well, it's in danger. It really is in danger. It's not in danger. If it if it got called off, I'd I'd stage it for us. Like I'll, I'll invite you. You get an invite, Rod. Well, someone will stage an Australian Open. I get a media pass. I'll be the official. Will there be sausage rolls? I'll hold the Australian Open. Yeah, there'll be the finest. The four and twenty. So, <laughs> is there anything to learn from the Vic Open? Absolutely, the combined men's and women's event. But uh, less about the the novelty of that, which was interesting, and it's an interesting innovation. But more to the point. They built that tournament and gave themselves time to do it. For an awful lot of people, that experiment would have lasted one year. And they would have said, oh, look at that. We didn't get the crowds. Forget it. Cancel. We won't do it again. The Vic Open have built that event. And gave, that gave themselves time. Gave themselves time and gave themselves They've built it's it a, into something really quite special. That's the great example is, yeah, they, they've realized they had something valuable there and it's taken five or ten years for the rest of the world to, to realize it as well. And now it's got outsized success the Vic Open is something that's you know it's basically worth the same as the New South Wales Open but I think everyone would agree the Vic Open has elevated itself to another level um, because it again it didn't try to be like every other tournament it held on to something of its own that's valuable and people came to realize the value in that the wider golf world came to realize the value in that there is is there any is there any merit in the step back to move forward, Derek? Could golf generally think about this stuff? We do have a diet in professional golf of 72 whole stroke play events week in, week out, all over the world. Now, the format, the 72 whole stroke plays is an easy thing to pick, but they really do look the same, don't they, most golf tournaments? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not sure that that's a, a bad thing, is there a great clamor for the tournament styles, stroke play versus match play? Is, that, is there a great no, no, sorry, desire no, from the masses no, no, sorry, to, to sorry, mix that up? That's right. So I, 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 that's the easy thing to pick on. But more to the point, is there something? Well, this in is what- the this is the thing. This is the question. I mean, this goes back to everything we've been talking about today. Is is what? Since we're speaking of professional golf, the the trick is what can be done to increase viewership to increase interest. And if, if that's your goal is to increase it, 
which again, kind of going back to what you guys are saying, I don't know that you, why, why do you always have to increase everything? But if it is, it's okay to experiment with that things, but nothing seemed has seemed to work yet that the, the, the way that people consume professional golf on television or at tournaments isn't really broken. I mean, it, people seem to be pretty, the majority of people seem to be fairly satisfied with it. Now, if you're taking, with respect to an internal view of a specific tournament like the Australian Open, absolutely, I think it'd be interesting to play around with different formats or, or be experimental. Um, if, if it's not attracting the, the type of field that it needs to to be successful, then everything should be on the table. Um, including doing the goat park thing. What if what if the Australian Open was played with clubs from 1995, and that was everybody had to play a wound ball and a, a you know a, a first generation a Bondi golf driver? That's at Bondi Golf Club. That's I'm not suggesting so much the format. I guess I just wonder. I don't know. It leads to the question: A is professional golf even that important? to the game. I think certainly it's important in lots of ways. And B, is it a sustainable notion? So I take your point, Derek, that nobody seems unhappy. Nobody who's interested in golf seems unhappy with the golf that we have. That's because they've not seen anything different either. Does that make sense? How do you know what else might sell if you never try anything different? Which is kind of what Logue's suggesting, I think, and getting at. If you just keep doing the same things over and over, you'll get the same results, which for the PGA Tour so far have been fantastic, and that's that's wonderful. It's not doing much for the game outside of Australia. Well, that's what I mean is I think think the Australian Open or any other tournament that you care about should try anything that that they can. So so the halcyon days, like the Australian Open in particular, where the Nicholas Player Palmy is. Now, we know that they got paid in a different way to come and play the event, but the point was that that money was worth it to them. The reality of today is... So Rory McIlroy won 15 million bucks a few weeks ago. You can't, unless he wants to come in for some others. They can't pay enough. Paying him multi-millions is a given. That's a given. These that then have another reason on top to want to come out here and play. So we're, in terms of trying to get international stars, we're in a much bigger bind than we were previously. The deal with Player and Palmer Nicholas, if you didn't realize this, Derek, I don't know how many people are aware of this. They would um, have signature lines of clubs here in Australia and they would take a percentage of sales. So there may have been some money paid on top as well, but in the through the sort of 60s and 70s, that was the deal. They came here and played. In fact, they quite often played different clubs to what they usually did. Mm-hmm. There'd be a separate Australian line of Slazenger, if that was what McGregor say in, uh, in Nicholas's case, and they got a cut of all sales of those clubs. So it was in their interest to come down here and promote those clubs uh, and make those sales. We don't have that luxury anymore. Like, and without big name players, you just don't have big tournaments. It's that simple. That are important tournaments. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I don't feel like it needs to be big. I, I think it will still be important. That's that's my answer to that. And, and does Nicholas, you know, Nicholas in the big picture, Nicholas and Palmer and Player, Gary Player in particular is quite boastful about his achievements in Australia. Uh, I actually think he thinks... he's looks... not like Gary. No, not, a, not like him at all. <laughs> but I think he looks back on it as one of the greatest achievements of his career, the number of Australian Opens he won. And six. the dominance that he had seven, here. Seven, seven for Nicholas and six for player? Was it seven for player and six for Nicholas? Oh, God, now I can't remember. Five. I, know. I wasn't going to actually five, venture yeah. no. uh, the thing. Uh, but the uh, I think he genuinely looks on it as one of the greatest achievements of his career, is, is winning the number of Australian Opens he did, and he views it as a prestigious event. Nicholas, I think, is probably similar. Um, so, 
uh, it means a lot to the players who win it, even if you're the best in the world. Um, you, if you come out, if you care enough to come out and play it and win it, you've added a scalp mm. that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Is anybody aside from you and I interested in this? <laughs> so, sorry, seven wins for Gary Player, six for Nicholas Onyoza, yep. five for Norman and Ivo Witten. Um, thank you, Wikipedia. Is anybody interested in this? And should they be? Derek, what do you reckon? I don't have any any insight into the interest in the Australian Open. I mean, I, you guys are much closer to it than I am. But are you interested in Have you historically watched it before you knew us and had all those Australian listeners to feed the ball? Where did it sit in your sort of sure, golf watching? Sure, occasionally. You know, you, you'd see what golf course it was uh-huh. being played on, and, and but you definitely t- take an eye in, on the field, who's playing in it, um, what Americans are playing in it, you know, from my perspective. Um if it looked like a competitive Bob, Bob field, Estes and Mike Calandro used to Billy know. Mayfair came and played one year. I remember. <laughs> that. Yeah, see, I'm all in on that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, you know, it, it would depend. It fluctuated. My interest would fluctuate from year to year, but just like it does with any uh, any golf tournament. Yeah, I think courses. The one thing I think I feel like Australia's got to sell, particularly in this era now, much more so than in the last fifteen or twenty years, is golf courses. And if we played the Australian Open on the sandbelts of Adelaide and Melbourne every year, I feel like there'd be a you'd pick mm-hmm. up a whole bunch of international interest, regardless of who was in the field. Yeah, but that might be a fad too. The interesting golf course architecture might be a fad. Well, that's a whole other topic. It is a whole other topic, mm-hmm. but that that's possible. But, but, but for right now, I mean, the, nobody in America or the UK or Europe is going to tune into the Australian Open to look at the Australian Golf Club. I don't reckon. I wouldn't think. Uh, but if it was at Royal Melbourne or Kingston Heath, Victoria, Peninsula, Kingswood, Royal Adelaide, the Grange, where we, where we see the women play. Bondi. Or, or Bondi. Or Bondi, yeah, is, Bondi would be. As, as uh, Derek likes to call it. Probably have to reduce the field a bit of Bondi. It's only got yep. nine holes. So even with it, you can't even have a 2 T start. So yep. it's going to be a much smaller <laughs> event. If we do. Anyway, enough about uh, the Australian Open. Uh, GCA... Group think. I'm just having a look at the yeah. time. We might leave that we'll for have to go to time. high points. Yeah, I think we're going to have to go to high notes. High notes. Excuse me. Stuff so I even had to change it in the Google Doc because you had it wrong. High notes. This is a segment that I introduced last week. It seems to have found a bit of favour with people. I want you to go first, Adrian. What's your high note this week? The thing about golf this week that reminded you why you love the game so much, despite all that negative stuff we just talked about with the Australian Open and professional golf, etc. Uh, well, just a few weeks ago, a mate of mine who I've seen take the game up and struggle through every single aspect of it, still struggles like we all do. Uh, it's only about seven years. I think he's been playing seven or eight years. And he was atrocious and wouldn't listen to advice, then went through a phase <laughs> with lessons and then went through a phase where he bought incredibly expensive clubs. And um, he's still got all of that mixed up in his head, actually. But for all of us at some point in our golf life, it all comes together. And this guy, this mate of mine who's, you know, I've, I've watched uh, start and and come to some sort of competence in the game, just won the C-grade club championship at uh, our club here in Sydney a few weeks ago. And uh, you could tell it was the thrill of a life lifetime for him, real thrill of competing. Yeah. And, and like any professional tournament, seeing people compete, I went out and watched him. Oh, uh, good on you, actually. And, uh, well done. Yeah, and, um, uh, like he, there was a point like there is in any match. It's match play for the final uh-huh. of, of the C-grade club championship. Um, there's, there's a time when you're asked to execute and you know you're being tested. That's the time. And... 
he, there was that's what happened to him. He had a whole really difficult putt on the second last hole, and then had to. Uh, he had the classic Jordan Spieth scenario on the 12th at Augusta where he could have laid a divot over the top of something and left it in the creek in front of him. Um, but he very competently put it on the green Fantastic. to secure um, to secure that hole and win his match. And uh, just the, the nature and the way he did it was very pleasing and it was a great high point. Oh, well he's, he's undefeated in match play. Mm, that's what I'd like to point out to him. Player, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. he's only played those four matches that he played in the yeah, final yeah. series of the C-grade club championship, but he won them all, so he's undefeated in match play. Fantastic. Uh, they're the reasons why we play. Good on you for going out and watching. Was there much of a crowd? Because uh, particularly at C-grade, which is not to make any comment on anybody's ability, yeah. but the more people watching, no, the probably, harder it gets, the worse you are at the game. Probably a dozen people wow. watching. Okay, yeah. so under pressure. Good on him. That is a nice, uh, that's a nice golf story. Derek, have you had any high notes this week, or has it all just been misery for you? No, quite the opposite. I found being out at the golf course and just watching the other people that were out there was a high point. Now, in contrast to what you've said before, it sounds, sometimes it sounds like when you relay how golf is played in Australia, maybe it's just your club rod, but everybody's playing a tournament and you ask them, why, why do they like golf or do they think about golf? And, they, you know, according to you, they say, no, I don't, you know, I don't know why I'm out here. But for most of us, it's, it's the opposite. And it just struck me watching uh, twosomes, foursomes, husbands and wives go off, you know, whether people are walking or in carts, these people like to pl- love to play golf. There's nothing wrong with golf to them. This, they're out there on their own volition. They're not competing. It's not a tournament. They're just out there to be outside uh, apparently or play golf, keep score, not keep score, be with the people that they like, enjoy a nice day, hack it around, probably not shoot their best, but still ultimately be happy and ultimately want to come back again. They're doing this on their own. Nobody's making them do this. They or, or, And then having another conversation like with my father telling me that he played golf. You know, he's he's in his upper 70s now and he's he's still every time he gets a chance to play golf, looks forward to it. And I just think this is this is golf. This is golf around the world. It's golf in America. People just love to play the game. People who play it love to play it. So I'm so glad we're doing this this segment now because we are so negative about you know criticizing what's wrong with the game and trying to come up with solutions to fix it. It's not broken for most people, and all you need to really do is go out to a golf course and just watch the people who are playing it, watch them come in, go out, you know, the other people in your foursomes, and they're not doing it just once. They're not leaving the game. They're going to stick with it. They've probably been playing golf for years and years. They're going to continue to play it for years and years. And I just, I just think that's, that's where we need to get our information from is on the golf course, our friends, our family, use your eyes, observe what's, what's happening in golf. And I, I don't think you'll come away with a, a negative impression of the sport. Outstanding. You just ruined about seven podcasts that I do. Thanks very much for that, Derek. <laughs> we get too immersed that's in what I'm good that, for, Rod. Yeah. The, the thing is... I, take, uh, I can suck the air out of a room. That's right. Quick. Oh, there's a, cloud, there's a cloud for that silver lining, let me assure you. I think the point you make is, <laughs> is true. We get too immersed in it, don't we? That's the problem. And it's the, it, it's the desire to see the game be the best that it can be that makes you notice all the stuff that's wrong with it. I, I get it sometimes, oh, you talk the game down. I know Huggy gets it a lot, you talk the game down. That's not an accurate reflection of what... And uh, Huggy loves the game as much as anybody. To this day, he still loves the game as much as anybody. But when you work in it and you can see the some of the silly stuff that goes on and the politics of it, you can't help but occasionally point something out. But that's not what this segment's about. I, I like, Derek, that you referred to the 
you know, the everyday people who play golf as these people. I, I like that as well. That was <laughs> yeah, these people. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> these people. them. And you're right. There, there's nothing wrong with golf, uh, according to most people. Uh, I've got one that. Uh, this I really enjoyed it this week. This, this week, so my high note is from Western Australia. Uh, there's a lady over there called Sue Thompson. If yep. it wasn't for Sue Thompson, Hannah Green wouldn't play golf. Sue and a couple of other people at the Mount Lawley Golf Club in Western Australia, which does a fabulous job of encouraging juniors and particularly junior girls and keeping girls in the game. They do an amazing job. Sue's a fantastic person. I wrote a story about her after Hannah Green's win as well. And a tweet turned up that she was tagged in that I saw this week. Somebody. Had posted a letter about a scholarship to Mount Lawley Golf Club and made the point that you know, there must have been onions in the envelope. Clearly, there was some quite emotion attached to it. So I asked Sue about it on uh, on Twitter and she sent me a message. Uh, Apparently, it's made of onions because it brought tears to the family's eyes, she said. This is Aileen. Aileen got a scholarship at, uh, at Mount Lawley Golf Club. But I've nicknamed her Mighty Mouse. She's nine and playing off 16, down from 42 12 months ago. There's a picture of Mighty Mouse, and if she's three and a half feet tall, I'd be surprised as a tiny little girl. We've just awarded her a $1,000 scholarship to continue her journey for coaching equipment and help with annual fees. So the way that works, they put $800 in an account for Aileen, and she gets to use it in the pro shop. She can draw it for coaching and equipment. And next year, when the membership fees roll around, she'll have $200 deducted. They give away four or five of these scholarships each year. The money comes from a gala day that the club runs every October to raise funds for junior development. Usually raises about $2,000. Adults play, kids hit balls on par threes, bomb them on par fives, etc. for the players. It's a fantastic day. To me, the high note there is that's real grow the game. Get involved. Get in the trenches and do it. Fantastic work on Mount Lawley's part to be giving away scholarships, but good on you, Aileen, to get down from 42 to 16 in a year at the age of nine. You could already beat me comfortably. No doubt. So good on you for that. But I just love that story and that attitude. If we had more Sue Thompsons and more Mount Lawleys, we'd do mm. a lot less yeah. looking at the negatives in golf. So I think when we had Hannah Green on, she said she wasn't originally a member at Mount Lawley. No, she she went there because of the program. That's right. A friend of hers had gone there and told her about Sue, Shana Gobby, and there's another lady there who run that. I and mean, then I've come to know Sue quite well and just fabulous work she does. And that, that's real. Like your people that you saw on the golf course, Derek, just enjoying the game as they should free of all these thoughts about the ball going too far and golf course architecture and all the rest of it, Sue just gets in and does great work and just supports those kids and, and does amazing stuff. So that really lifted yep. my uh, lifted. That's my, wonderful. My, uh, yeah. Good on you, Sue. Well done. We must get her on the show one day, get the key to her success because more clubs could learn from that. Hello. I, I just wanted to cheat and put in one more high note because it'll be one it'll be a week. but this one will be it'll, it'll have left the the collective consciousness in a in a week. But um, Jong Un Lee's six uh, oh, speech um, yeah. uh, when she received Rookie of the Year, she's stood up in front of a very intimidating crowd Hundreds in in America on stage with a spotlight on her and delivered. Uh, a speech in English, which she's only just started learning this year, I think. Um, or, you know, she barely yeah. speak any English 12 no, months ago. No reason for her to speak English in Korea, is there? No. <laughs> and uh, she knew it cold, and she didn't miss a beat. Uh, didn't miss a beat. Just nailed every single word for the entire speech. Mm-hmm. Apologised for English at the start, mm-hmm. and then delivered an absolute perfect speech. In like from start to finish, it was quite a moving moment. Yeah, yeah brilliant stuff. Yeah. She's a real. She's a real character, a real asset to the game. I don't know. I saw the headline. I haven't read the story yet, though. I intend to when I get a chance today. Her manager is a young Korean-American woman who she met in a 
golf superstore somewhere. Wow. Okay. And ended up being her manager. Yep. Look, look where they are wow. now uh, on top of the golf world. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, you would defy anybody. I try to think, imagine myself. Can you imagine going to a foreign country, mm-hmm. but particularly a, an Asian country, having to learn an Asian language and perform a task so publicly, be on television all the time, do all that, play as well as she has to win the Just incredible. But in under 12 months as well. Yeah, in less than 12 months. Just extraordinary and and a great person. So that was good. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. The show notes are going to be great reading this week. Uh, Yes, well done. You've earned that. Uh, That was a good high note. A million other things to talk about. Let's not do it now. Adrian, thank you for uh, coming along today. Thank you, Rod. It's great to have you aboard. And Derek, over there in the uh, Talking Golf US Satellite Studio in Georgia, thank you for your company today. Always good to have you aboard. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Adrian looks like he sort of enjoyed it, but not 100%. Oh, I need another piccolo. He's, he's a bit meh. Yeah, we better go and find him a good. But Rista, that's it for episode 10 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Don't forget, we'll be back to do it all again next week with episode. When are we going to have a break for Christmas? I think Monday after President's Cup will be our last. Perhaps. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Monday after President's Cup. A little, little, little behind the curtain. Little behind there. the curtain yeah. there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We'll probably uh, take a break with Christmas after that. But anyway, we'll, we'll make a decision. We'll give you the final, uh, final decision on that next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.